Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents the conclusion of his teaching, Signs. All right, so this will be our last session in our series on signs, Signs Part 6. Now, we spent a lot of time talking about the seven signs of the book of John, seven signs that John and the Holy Spirit highlighted, uh, which they felt were significant more than any other signs that he found that he saw when he was walking with Jesus. He picked these seven as the most definitive that pointed to him as the Christ, the anointed one, the Son of God. And we read that in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. John says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. So, John said, listen, there was a lot of other signs that Jesus did. In fact, the very last verse in the book of John says, if you wrote down everything Jesus did while he was on the earth, there wouldn't be enough books in the libraries of the world to contain them. So John is very aware that Jesus did a lot of signs, a lot of wonders, a lot of miracles. But he picked these seven because he said, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. So he picked his top seven, and the Holy Ghost helped him, which pointed to Jesus as the Christ, as the Son of God, the one in whom, if you place your faith, you can have life and have life eternal. And so we talked about these seven signs. I'm going to read through them. And we use this as an outline through this series. We talked about... Number one, changing water into wine that you find in John chapter 2. We, we talked about number two, healing the nobleman's son, which you find in John chapter 4. We talked about number three, healing the paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda, John chapter 5. We talked about number four, feeding the 5,000, John chapter 6. Number five, walking on water, again, John chapter 6. Number six, healing a man born blind, John chapter 9. And then finally, number seven, raising Lazarus from the dead, John chapter 11. Amen. So not only did Jesus walk in signs, wonders, and miracles when he was on the earth, like the seven we highlighted in this series, but he trained the disciples and the regular believers, just like you and me, to walk in signs, wonders, and miracles. Before and after he was raised from the dead. Why? So they could continue his work after he was gone. Amen? Think about this. Jesus was in a natural human body. So he limited himself to a natural human body. So he could only be in one place at one time and minister to a certain group of people at one time. I mean, there's only so many people he could reach because he was just one man. But he knew that one day he would put his spirit in his believers 
those that are saved, filled with the Spirit, and then he would have thousands, millions, and one day I believe billions of believers all over the planet reproducing the ministry of Jesus Christ, signs, wonders, and miracles following. Amen? Sometimes when we read the Bible, we're like, oh, I could never do that. Guess what? If you're a believer, Jesus said, you could do that. We'll get to that here in just a minute. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Turn with me in your devices or in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, verse 22. And by the way, all the, the scriptures will be New King James today. Acts 2, 22. I'm going to read. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. A little bit of background. This is Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit poured out on the 120 in the upper room, amen? And he was telling the very crowd that called for Jesus' crucifixion, that Jesus did signs, wonders, and miracles in their midst, and they knew it was the truth. Now it says here, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, notice the verbiage here, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. What does that mean? That means God was working through Jesus, through these signs, wonders, and miracles to put his personal stamp of approval as Jesus, his son, sent to them by God. Amen? It was the calling card by which they would know that Jesus was sent to them by God, that Jesus was the anointed one, that Jesus was the son of God. Amen? We also see in this verse that Jesus set the standard. He was the forerunner. He was the example for us to follow in also walking out signs, wonders, and miracles in our everyday lives and in our ministry. Amen. Turn to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. The writer of the Hebrews says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard Him? Listen to this. God also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to His own will. I love that. Here we see the writer of the Hebrews telling us that the gospel, the message of salvation preached by Jesus and by his followers was confirmed by signs, wonders, miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit. Amen. According to his will. In other words, everything Jesus and his followers said and did was right smack dab in the middle of God's will for their life. And the signs, wonders, and miracles were proof of that fact. Amen. Hallelujah. But there's something else I want you to see. This may be a little bit of a rabbit trail, but it's going to be a good one. Sometimes when you go down a rabbit trail, you catch some really juicy rabbits. If you remember, we focused on the Greek word semion throughout this series. 
And that word semion is translated as sign or miracle several places in several translations. And semion means sign, wonder, or miracle. But I believe, and you've heard me say many times, that the emphasis here is on the sign because it points people to the wonder worker, the miracle worker, the one that was sent to them by God. But I want to just sort of direct your attention to this. Here we see the only two verses found in the New Testament, Acts 2.22 and Hebrews 2.4, where all three terms are used, signs, wonders, and miracles, each translated from three different Greek words. So I want to see what we can learn, see if we can be enlightened, and study just a minute what these words mean, what the Greek words actually mean. So the first one we're very familiar with, we've been talking about a lot, that is semion. It means sign, wonder, or miracle. Kind of a collective term. You know, it could be a sign, could be a wonder, could be a miracle. It could be all of them put together. Then you have wonders. Comes from the Greek word teras. It means a wonder. (laughs) Something so strange or unusual that it attracts attention or observation. And then you have a miracle. It's actually the Greek word dunamis, which means explosive power. So a miracle evidently involves the explosive power of God. We also know from our study on the gifts of the Spirit that miracles uh, happen by and large instantly, as opposed to a healing which happens gradually. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So I wish I could tell you that I can always tell the difference between a sign, a wonder, or a miracle, but I'm telling you right now, I can't. I have a few examples I can share to sort of illustrate the point. Years ago, when I was a young teenager, I was with a group of people that were helping a healing evangelist pray for a man whose leg was six inches shorter than the other. And there was no fakery. He took his shoes off. He took his socks off. He put his... uh, small of his back up against a chair, and he said, stretch out your feet, and there's no way he could have stretched in such a way to make uh, it look like one foot was shorter than the other. He was wearing one of those, you know, step-up type shoes, and he was an orthopedic surgeon, and he declared to everybody that was there, listen, I know because I'm an orthopedic surgeon, there is no medical help for me. I need a miracle. So this was kind of the first miracle that I had ever heard about, And I was waiting to see it happen. And so this healing evangelist told all of us teenagers, listen, just just start thanking Jesus for what he's about to do. So we're all, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And I'm like 10 feet away from that guy's foot, and I say, I am not looking at nothing. I'm going to see this miracle happen. And so this went on for two or three or four minutes, although it felt like 20 minutes. It's probably only two or three minutes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And all of a sudden, I heard the sound of a bone crack. And when the bone cracked, I watched his foot jump out six inches instantly. That is a miracle. That is a miracle. Because the explosive power of God was on display. And listen, bone and flesh had to be created. And they were in a matter of a second. And I looked at that. And wouldn't you know, great man of faith that I was, I was 17 at the time, I said, I don't believe it. (laughs) 
and I saw it, and I heard it. Years later, I was teaching a class on the gifts of the Spirit in our church there in Corpus Christi, Texas, and I heard the sound of bones popping again. And I watched as I prayed for a man who had no shoulder blade on his right side. And God grew him a shoulder blade right there in the midst of a Sunday school class, for heaven's sakes. I saw the greatest miracle I've ever seen in my life before or since. That's a miracle. When you see body parts grow, that's a miracle. Also, people ask me, do you really believe those things still happen today? And I answer like this, once you've seen body parts restored, there's no going back. You believe in the power of God. Amen. Now, I've got two of my three daughters here, so they're going to enjoy this. Back when we were living in Minden, Louisiana, my middle daughter, Alicia, had a horrible fever. Just horrible, so much so that she was... She's about one year old. She was red from head to toe. And all we could do was put her on the couch, and she was moaning and groaning, and we were giving her Tylenol as much as we could as we felt safe to do. And we, of course, prayed, and we were just standing there waiting for the Lord to help us, you know, contemplating whether we should take her to the doctor or to the ER. And all of a sudden, Marcy, who was about three years old at the time, she probably doesn't even remember this, she walked over to Alicia, she put her hand on her head and she said, Jesus' name. <laughs> and the fever broke immediately. And within minutes, her flesh was the normal color it should have been, and the fever broke, and she was fine. That's a miracle. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You know, the faith of a little child comes to mind as well. She saw us, her parents, doing that, and so she just imitated, and the power of God went to work. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So, bottom line, there is a reason the Holy Spirit makes a distinction between signs, wonders, and miracles, but I confess to you that I don't always know which is which. So, when something wonderful like this happens to you or to someone you love, don't worry too much about what to call it if you're not sure. Just say it was a Samayon and look at the blank stares on their face. You know, that's the word the Apostle John uses when describing the seven signs in his gospel. It could be a sign, it could be a wonder, it could be a miracle, or it could be a combination of all of them, amen? Because they all point to Jesus as the miracle worker and the wonder worker, amen? Even when you minister in His name, Signs, wonders, and miracles point to Jesus in you. Amen. You don't ever get the glory. So this is the whole reason Jesus trained the disciples and regular believers before and after His resurrection to expect signs, wonders, and miracles to follow them and to confirm the gospel message that they preached. Amen. I want to talk to you for a minute about the 12. John chapter 14, 12 and 13. John 14, verse 12 and 13. This is an amazing passage of Scripture, one that a lot of people try to dance around, but there's no dancing around it. It's pretty plain. 
Verse 12 says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, will he do also. Stop right there. Jesus raised three people from the dead, healed numerous blind people, made maimed people whole, the lame to walk, the blind to see, the deaf to hear, and the dumb to speak. And Jesus, listen, if you got a red-letter Bible, you know this is Jesus talking. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, will he do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. Amen. Again, there's that concept of Jesus knowing that he's not going to be on earth very much longer, so he's got to train up people to carry on his ministry. Amen. And he doesn't care if you do greater works than he did. All he cares about is the people receive from God. The people come to the Lord. And the signs, wonders, and miracles are a big part of that. So let me read it to you again because there's a teaching in here. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. Listen to this. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So you know when he's talking about the works that he did, he's talking about signs, wonders, and miracles. So we see here in verse 13 that the purpose of the works, the signs, wonders, and miracles is that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Amen. Ultimately, Jesus gets the credit, but God gets all the glory. Amen. These scriptures that we're reading here, they were given to the 12 disciples, but it applies to anyone who believes. Notice it says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me. So you don't have to be an apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, or evangelist to operate in signs, wonders, and miracles. And you've got the word of Jesus to prove that. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I'm getting excited just over this one passage right here. Now hear me out. Many people apply this passage to prayer. And I suppose you could do that in a generic sense. But the context of this passage and these two verses in particular is doing the works of Jesus in his name, representing him. Amen. It's not talking about prayer. You go two more chapters to John 16 and he talks about prayer. He says in the King James, hitherto, you have asked me nothing. But when I'm gone, you're going to ask the father in my name and he'll give you everything you need. That's a different thing entirely. So doing the works in Jesus' name and praying to the Father in Jesus' name are not necessarily the same thing. Amen. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. Matthew 10, verse 1. We're still talking about the 12 here. And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power. That word there actually is authority. He gave them power or authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Skip on down to verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them. He didn't suggest to them. He commanded them saying, do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter a city of the Samaritans but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. 
And as you go, remember, this is a command, not a suggestion. And as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Wow. You're getting specific now, Jesus. You're making me nervous now. You're talking about raising people from the dead, putting hands on lepers who are highly contagious, and cleansing them in Jesus' name. Amen. So then, after the 12 are sent out, he realizes it's not nearly enough. He commissions 70 others. Now listen, these weren't disciples. These weren't apostles. These were regular believers like you and me. You can read about it in Luke chapter 10. Jesus sent out 70 more regular believers, two by two, and he gives them the same charge. Preach the gospel with signs, wonders, and miracles following, amen. Some people say miracles died out with the death of the last apostle. And I always say, well, what about the 70? Do we have to wait for them to die too? No, there is no statute of limitations in the New Testament on the power of the Holy Ghost. So the next scripture passage I want to end with is Mark chapter 16. It's one that's probably familiar to most of us. It's often called the Great Commission because it involves Jesus' last instructions given to us before he left planet earth for good. So just like John 14, 12, and 13, this commission was given to the disciples, but was addressed to anyone who believed. Amen. That includes you and me in this day and age. So as we go through this amazing passage, let's remember that this was written by God to you and me concerning how we were supposed to carry out this great commission. Mark chapter 16 We'll start at verse 14. Mark 16, verse 14. This is talking about Jesus. Later he appeared to the eleven. This is after his resurrection. Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table. And he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Now this is a reference to the two men who saw Jesus after his resurrection on the road to Emmaus. And they later told the disciples that they had seen him, and they didn't believe him. So Jesus was letting them know he was not happy about that. I can just imagine this tabletop discussion. Okay, boys, I told you I was going in the grave, but three days later I was going to be raised from the dead, and some people saw me alive, and you didn't believe them? Come on, man! Football fans will know what I mean by that. Come on, man. Verse 15, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. I love the way Jesus starts with the two most controversial. He just puts it out there. You know, these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. 
heard a pastor share about an angelic encounter he had one time, and they were talking about how that the Lord wanted this particular pastor to emphasize the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he said to the angel, well, you know, tongues is kind of controversial. And he said in his testimony that the angel looked at him like, it's not controversial with God. (laughs) And so he said, okay, okay, all right. Okay, I get the message. Amen. Hallelujah. All right, verse 18. And we'll spend a little time on this one because there's some stuff we have to straighten out. They will take up serpents. Let me stop right there. Okay, this does not mean... You need to take a box of rattlesnakes to your altar and have people come up and take the step of faith and hold up a rattlesnake in front of their face. That's not what's being talked about here. This word here, they will take up serpents. It is a word which means to take up or away, to remove. It is the same word Jesus used when he told the guy at the pool of Bethesda, take up your bed and walk. Same word. In other words, that thing which controlled you, you now take control of it. That's talking about spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. Serpents is an obvious type of a demonic entity. You will take up, you will contend with demonic entities because now you have authority over them in Jesus' name. You know, sometimes if you just do a little digging in the Scriptures... You know, you can sort these kind of things out. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. Now, I know just common sense that that obviously means not on purpose, you know. And there are people that the same ones that hold the snakes up, they hold up strychnine in a cup and they sip it enough to kill a horse as an act of faith. Listen, now this obviously has to be viewed in the context of going into all the world and preaching the gospel to every village, every ethnic group, every country, every tradition, every tribe. It reminds me of Mel Tari and his team in Indonesia in the 1960s. They were going through the islands of Indonesia, and they were going to remote areas, uh, places where they were living in thatched huts. I mean, just remote, barbaric people. And they went into this one village and they preached Jesus and they served them a meal with some drink and they put poison in the drink, enough to kill them ten times over. And not a one of them got sick. And the whole tribe came to the Lord because of it. Because they drank unknowingly something deadly and it did not kill them. Amen. They shall lay hands on the sick and they will recover. That's you and me. And I've heard this many, many times. You probably have too. What if I lay hands on them and nothing happens? Well, I'm here to tell you, it's not your responsibility to make anything happen. Your responsibility is to lay hands on the sick and they will recover. You know, over there in John 14, 12, and 13, he says, whatever you ask, require, or demand, if you study it out, Whatever you ask, require, or demand in my name, Jesus said, I will do it. So you do the laying on the hands, and Jesus says, I got your back. I'm the one healing. I'll do it. If you go in with that mindset, you'd be a whole lot more bold to lay hands on the sick. This is, this is my method over 30 years now of laying hands on the sick. This is what I do. I go in in response to this scripture. Mark 16, 18 says, lay hands on the sick, and they will 
recover. So I'm going to do my part. I'm going to lay hands on the sick. God, you got the other part. They will recover. And I don't worry about what if nothing happens. You know, if a gift of the Spirit manifests, if the anointing manifests, great. But by faith, my first action is I'm going to lay hands on them by faith in Jesus' name. And I'm going to leave the rest up to Jesus. Amen. He said, I will do it. He said, I'll do it. So don't be afraid to pray for the hard cases. Maybe Jesus will surprise you and pull somebody out of a wheelchair or something like that. I know when I laid hands on Andy Edlin, the man with the missing shoulder blade, I had no idea what was about to happen. I just, by obedience, put my hand, I put my left hand in the hole in his back. I put my right hand on his chest, and I started speaking to bones and ligaments and sinews and blood vessels, and, 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 and I said, be right, be normal, grow back in Jesus' name, and it started happening, popping and grinding, heard the bones popping and grinding and watched it happen. His eyes got as big as saucers. My eyes got as big as saucers. He started crying. I started crying. I almost cried at the thought of it. It was astounding. Listen, once you get a taste for that, you got to have more. I want to hear the bones popping in this place. I've heard evangelists talk about it can be so heavy, the anointing for healing can be so heavy that it sounds like popcorn going off out there in the congregation because Jesus, Dr. Jesus, is doing surgery on so many people. Pop, pop, pop. Amen. I decree it will happen in this place. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Amen. He knew that he had equipped his saints to carry on his ministry, and he was ready to leave. Verse 20 says, and they went out and preached everywhere. And they went out and preached everywhere. Listen, you don't have to go overseas. You may be called to do that. You may not be. You don't have to have mass gatherings of thousands of people and get them all saved. You know, your everywhere could be your circle of influence, the people that you have influence over, and you might be called to minister to them one-on-one. Regardless of whether it's one-on-one or mass evangelism, they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. That word, signs, is our old friend, Samayon. Amen. So listen, I think it's fitting that we end this series on signs by making the point that the body of Christ needs to preach the word everywhere. One-on-one or mass evangelism. And when we do, we need to start believing that the Lord Jesus is with us as we do. And to expect signs, wonders, and miracles and gifts of the Spirit to follow us, confirming the word that we preach. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the conclusion of Dr. Forrest's message, Signs. If you are in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 10 a.m. for coffee and fellowship and 10.30 for worship and service. If you would like to learn more about us, and hear more of Dr. Forrest's teachings. Visit our website 
at GoFaithLife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.